Amen. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God this morning? Where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. So if you think that you're too lost to save, i got good news for you this morning. You are dead wrong. He is able to save you. He wants to save you. and His grace is abundant. His love is unconditional and everlasting. Well, how many of you in the room are a little OCD? Raise your hand. All right, you are going to be in bad trouble this morning. Bad trouble. Um, by the way, before I go any further, thank you for praying for little Ripley. And Dr. Rick, Ms. Patty, good to see you guys today. And we've been praying for little Ripley. And praise the Lord this week, huge progress. Uh, is able to take milk through a tube for the first time. And we praise the Lord for that. He's gained five inches, did you say, Dr. Clark? And so, wow, it's just... Uh, a huge answer to prayer, and we're, we're thankful for that. But the reason that you're in trouble, and I'm all over the place already, aren't I? I'm o- some of you are OCD. I'm ADD, so I'm like all over the place. Um, typically, if you're a guest with us, typically we, we teach expositionally, that's verse by verse through books of the Bible and sequentially right through the text, um, and that is... The way I enjoy preaching the most, I, I, I love it. I love all kinds of preaching regardless of what it is. But I'm going to mess you up a little bit today because I'm not going to preach expositionally. <gasps> I'm going to preach topically for the most part. And then I'm really going to mess you up because I'm not going to preach out of Mark this morning. And we've been going through the book of Mark. And you came ready. How many of you even read up the next section of Mark? I know. See? The OCD ones. They're already ahead. But as I was studying this week, it was just like the Spirit of God said, I want you to flip the sermons. The one you were going to preach tonight, I want you to preach this morning. The one you're going to preach this morning, I want you to preach tonight. So, if you came for Mark 4, you have to come back tonight. And some of you don't come back on Sunday night. So I hope that you'll come back tonight for the next section in Mark. But it was just like as I was studying this. And listen, we always want to leave room for the Spirit of God to move and to change things, right? And it was without a doubt that, that the Spirit of God impressed on my heart to, to, to change um, the sermon for this morning. So with that in mind, take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45 on Sunday evenings, we've been doing a series that we've entitled Resolve and going through some things that we as Christians need to resolve in our hearts, maybe some things that we've allowed to slip or just uh, we started this in the beginning of the year, just some things in our life that we need to resolve to this new year and been going through different things. And this morning, uh, the Lord has directed us to preach on this subject, resolve to choose forgiveness. Resolve to choose forgiveness. I want us to look at one of my my favorite Old Testament characters, one of the greatest Old Testament examples. His life has brought much encouragement and much conviction to me for many years. As As a teenager, it was the life of Joseph that really challenged me in the area of purity In the area of being a a leader, as just a young boy, you think about Joseph, he was 17 years old when all of this craziness started happening in his life. And then in my adult years, he has really taught me a lot about trusting the sovereignty of God, about discernment, about navigating human relationships, 
But you cannot look at the life of Joseph without learning a powerful lesson on forgiveness. Forgiveness. After being in ministry now for 25 years, I would have to say that a lack of forgiveness is one of the top reasons that people either leave a marriage, leave a church, or distance themselves from God-ordained relationships in their life. It's a major problem that keeps people from living the joyful Christian life, the productive Christian life that God wants us to enjoy with imperfect but beneficial relationships that He gives us in life. And we're going to discuss the story this morning. For many of you, you know the story. For some of you, you may not know much about the story, but for sake of time, uh, it would take us all day and evening to preach the whole life of Joseph and weeks and weeks. But I want to just read for you Joseph's response to his brothers, and then we're going to go back and talk about a little bit about what happened to him and talk about this area of forgiveness. So if you're able to physically stand for the reading of God's Word, would you do so? And listen, just because this is topical doesn't mean it's not scriptural. It's going to be full of scripture, and we're going to learn what the Word of God has to say about the topic, about the subject of forgiveness. Genesis 45, beginning in verse number 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, calls every man to go out from me, And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. He's revealing himself to his brothers. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I love this, mark this, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be airing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Father, we come to your word again this morning with great submissiveness and surrender of our own hearts. We pray, God, that we would be encouraged and challenged today from your word and that you would speak to us. We pray if there's anyone here today and they have never accepted the forgiveness of God for eternal salvation, that today would be that day. And Lord, we pray for us as Christians who often struggle with this thing that often brings distance between you and us. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today and challenge us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a a sermon guide in your bulletin, and I know some of you have already looked at it, and you're already scared because there is a staple in it, which means that it's two pages. I'm humbled every time that I read this section. By the way, I was going to have Daniel come up here. Uh, Daniel told me yesterday he was stuffing the bulletins, putting the notes in there. And, and I said, I know, Daniel, it's, there's a staple in there, isn't it? It looks long. You know what Daniel said? 
those are the best kind of sermons. I said, I'm going to have you come and introduce my sermon tomorrow before I get up there. But I am, I am humbled each time that I read this section. If I were to ask you this morning to write down some of the most difficult things for us to say and to live out, one of those things would be, I forgive you. And maybe not as much to say, but to live out. To live out the words, I forgive you. And the truth is that in our human nature, we would rather have in the back of our minds as leverage to pull out when we need it, and and, uh, these things in the past, and at the root of that attitude and heart is pride, and and it really is an unforgiving heart, although you may say it with your, your mouth. We see this all the time, parents with children, children with parents, siblings with one another. In fact, some people are just so familiar in their families living in a constant family feud. We, we see it sometimes with church members and employers do it with one another. Someone has said, and I agree, there are three levels of living in regards to relationship responses. And the first one is to return evil for good. And that is demonic. That is from Satan. And then there are those who return evil for evil, and we would say that is human, that is from our flesh. But then there are those like Joseph who return good for evil. That is divine. That is from God. That is supernatural. That is something that we cannot do on our own, and that is exactly what we see in the life of of Joseph, something divine, something supernatural, which is, by the way, the supernatural realm is the realm that you and I as believers should be living in, not the natural realm. John Stott wrote, and I agree, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. It is so necessary for the health of our soul. And as we see today, forgiveness is at the very heart of Christianity. I want to just mention three things to us this morning in regards to forgiveness. And the first is this. As we look at the story of Joseph, we have a great illustration of forgiveness. It's covered in Genesis 37 through through verse 45. And many of you are familiar with the story in Genesis 37. We read about it, that Joseph grew up in a very dysfunctional family. He is the favored son of his father, Jacob, who had also grown up in a family where the parents showed favorites. You see, this is a learned behavior for Jacob. Joseph is his favored son, and obviously because of that, there is resentment from Joseph's brothers. They resented him, and then before long, that resentment turns into bitterness and anger and hatred, and before long, that hatred turns into a desire to get rid of Joseph. And since some of his brothers didn't want to go as far as to kill Joseph, Then they decided that they would get rid of him by selling him into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. Now for Joseph and for any of us, we would say that is a recipe for a lifetime of bitterness. A lifetime of resentment. This this experience of this type of betrayal, and we all know this, there's no greater hurt than the betrayal of our own family. And just as a teenager, Joseph was sold into Potiphar's house, who was the captain of Pharaoh. We see through his life the sovereignty of God working in his life. And then 
Joseph, because he was a man of character, he worked his way up and into a leadership role under, under Potiphar. And as we know the story, Potiphar's wife tried to get Joseph to sin with her, and Joseph ran from her, ran from sin, flee youthful lust, the Bible says, and Joseph gives us a great example of that. And the Bible tells us that he left, he ran and he left, but he left his coat in the hands of Potiphar's wife. I love what one commentator wrote. He left his coat in her hands, but he kept his character before God. I love that. God sees what others do not. However, Joseph was lied about and he was falsely accused. And here he is again in his late 20s and he now finds himself in prison unjustly because of what Potiphar's wife had claimed that he did. But because Joseph, again, is a man of character in this prison, what does he do? He leads. He works his way up. He's a man of character. He becomes a leader in the prison. And once again, he is forgotten about and he is betrayed by those that he helped. And then finally, in his 30s, we see by the sovereign design of God that he is released from prison. And he stands before Pharaoh. And as you read the story, Joseph becomes the second in command of the entire Egyptian kingdom under Pharaoh. God had brought him from a slavery pit to Potiphar's house, to prison, and now to a palace. And now he's second in command, and all of us would say it's about time. Joseph has endured all this, and now it is time for revenge. Watch out, Potiphar. Watch out, Potiphar's wife. Watch out, brothers. Here I am. But we see the complete opposite out of Joseph's life. Joseph, having helped bring great success and prosperity in Egypt, he's now second in command, and Joseph's family is now dependent upon him and his nation for survival. And all of us would say if Joseph punished them that they would have gotten what they deserved. Yet he came out of prison after two years of almost solitary confinement and he had somehow, by the grace of God, forgiven those who had betrayed him and lied about him and sold him into slavery. The contrast, as you read the story, is really astounding. His brothers tore his clothes off of him and Joseph gives them clothes. His brothers sold him to make money, and here Joseph is giving them money. His brothers drove him, drove Joseph as far away from them as he possibly could, and Joseph says to them, come close to me. Come into me. I will provide for you. If we were to read down through verses, verses 21 through 28, we see that Joseph gives them carts. He gives them clothes. He gives them money. And he gives them counsel. And this is an incredible illustration of a man who, though deeply hurt, chose forgiveness. And let me say this morning, church, that according to the word of God, that forgiveness is a choice. You either choose bitterness and resentment or you choose forgiveness by the power of God and by the power of the spirit of God that lives in us, that enables us to do supernatural things that are above our human nature. I can't imagine what many of us might have done if we were in the place of Joseph. It's scary to think about, isn't it? 
What measures of retaliation would we exercise? What would we withhold from them? And in what ways would we make sure that this was held over them for the rest of their lives? How would I ensure that they were forever indebted to me? But there's none of that in Joseph's life. In fact, there's that dramatic phrase in verse number four, come near to me. Now, I can imagine when Joseph said, come close to me, that they didn't know what was going to happen when they came close to him. They probably were pushing each other up to the front. That they, they thought maybe he is going to hurt us. And Reuben, you're the one who got us into this mess in the first place. It was your idea. You step up first. They could have never anticipated that he who had been reviled by them would ever want to be close to them again. And yet, Joseph weeps with great emotion and he says, I want you to come close to me. And when they get close, he says this, don't be grieved or don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me into slavery. Later, he would say this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To save much people alive. His brothers are mystified that he would speak to them with such tenderness. And this is a supernatural illustration of forgiveness. And listen, in ministry, you see a lot of things. And I have seen some of the most embittered and sad and lonely people that you could ever meet in your entire life. And they are hanging on to these circumstances. They are hanging on to this bitterness. In fact, they are drinking the poison of bitterness, thinking that by drinking it, they're going to hurt or kill someone else. All the time, it is destroying them from the inside out. The brothers see the carts, they see the clothes, they see the cash, they, they hear Joseph's loving counsel, and they stand in awe that they who have offended so greatly against this brother should be on the receiving end of such genuine forgiveness. By the way, in what greater way could we as believers demonstrate the love of a great God than to show forgiveness to those who we, don't, who we think do not deserve forgiveness? But a great illustration of forgiveness. Secondly, I want you to see an explanation of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to turn there if you would this morning. Matthew chapter 18. It gives us a great explanation of what we read in Genesis 45. These two chapters are greatly related. You could even maybe mark by Genesis 45, Matthew 18, and vice versa. And here is the principle that I want you to get this morning from Matthew chapter 18. It says, the forgiven sinner prompted by gratitude must always and in every case, do everything to forgive whoever has offended against them and must do all in their power to bring about complete reconciliation. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that home this week and I want you to chew on it. Phrase by phrase. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 18. And I want you to see this great principle, and ask God to help this to be true in your life. The question in verse 21 that is asked by Peter is a good question. And as we know, I'm sure that Peter was pretty proud of this question because Peter was often proud of his statements and questions. 
I mean, Peter knew, hey, this is a big deal. I know that I should forgive my brother, and I even know that I should forgive him more than once. So listen to this, Jesus, seven times. Seven times. And Jesus says in verse 21, verse 22, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Listen, Jesus says in essence, forgiveness is not a matter of calculation. It is a matter of the heart. Or in other words, forgiveness doesn't keep score. 70 times seven doesn't mean that you can get out a notebook and put at the top of that notebook on each page, Tim Robbins, 280. (laughs) Jerry Lester, 450. No, the point is, you forgive limitless. Why? Because you've been forgiven limitless. Jesus gives this parable as he goes on. Look at it, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payments to be made. The servant therefore fell down, and he worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will, I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. And he, he loosed him, he forgave him, forgave him the debt. But that same servant who was forgiven that debt, He went out and he found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet. And he besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This is an amazing statement. And he would not. He had just been forgiven much more than that. And yet he would not forgive the smaller debt. But he went out, look what he does. He went out and he cast them into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses. Whoa! Now forget the money for a minute. In Christ, we have been forgiven an incalculable debt. So are we going to choke our brothers and sisters for the smaller debt? Here it is again. The forgiven sinner prompted by by gratitude must always and in every case do everything to forgive whoever has offended against them and must do all in their power to bring about complete reconciliation. I want to give you a couple things in regards to this. Number one, we are all God's debtors. We are all God's debtors. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come, what? Short of the glory of God. 
What that means is that we're all debtors because we've all come short of the righteous standard of God. We've all missed the mark in terms of the target of God's righteousness. We've all overstepped the boundaries of His moral law. And if you doubt that, just take the Ten Commandments and take the very first one and see if you've ever broken it. I can promise you, you have. We're all God's debtors. Secondly, we're unable to pay our debt. Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, listen to this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, or the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. You can't work enough to pay this debt. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And this is the big, big, big problem with religion that focuses on externalism and moralism and doing right. People think that by doing good things, they will be justified in God's sight. If I do enough of this, I will be able to repay. If, if, if I somehow crawl on my knees or I do these good deeds or, or whatever it might be, then I will be able to repay the debt. And the fact of the matter is that there is nothing that any of us can ever do to pay this debt. You say, great, here's another one of your very depressing sermons. We are all in great debt, and none of us can pay the debt. Hold on, hold on. It gets better. Here's the third thing. By means of Christ, atoning sacrifice, the debt has been paid for all who believe in him. There's the good news. By means of Christ's atoning sacrifice, the debt has been paid for all who believe in Him. You see, there's bad news, there's worse news, and there's good news. The bad news is we're all in debt to God. The worst news is there's no way we can get ourselves out of it. But the good news is, is that Jesus has done something on our behalf to make possible a radical transformation in our circumstances. If we can't be justified by our own good deeds, how can we be? That is a great question. I'm glad you asked it. As the Bible says in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through how? The redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. It's His righteousness and His alone. His righteousness is the standard that is met for us. What Jesus was doing upon the cross, listen, it wasn't so that you and I would feel sorry for Him. He was paying our debt. He was bearing our, our, our payment. Listen, forgiveness shows us the beauty of the gospel. We have to come to God, and this is what we have to say to God. I am bankrupt. I am in debt to you. On, on account of my casual indifference, on, on account of my moral rebellion and my pride and my mouth and my hands and my feet and everything about me, I come short. I'm at your mercy. I accept your payment, Jesus. I accept your payment and your righteousness and your forgiveness. 
Because the truth is, before the holiness of God, the best of our works are as disgusting, filthy rags. Now for the accountability part, well, let me, let me go back to this awesome verse, one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him, who's him? Jesus. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Get this. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Christ, in Jesus. And now for the accountability part. Since all of our debts have been forgiven, we are completely, according to the word of God, not according to Josh Grubbs, according to the word of God, we are completely unjustified and not giving forgiveness an infinite amount of times. I know. It's strong. It's hard. But is that not what Jesus was just saying in the parable? If you see yourself as a pretty good person, not perfect, but a pretty good, especially when you compare me to the majority of the other people in the world, then you don't see yourself bankrupt. You don't see yourself in debt. And because of that, you're able to hold grudges. You're able not to forgive because you don't see your own debt. Anytime I harbor an animosity against you or anybody else, it is because, listen, I have diminished the sense of debt that I have been forgiven by God. This story reminds us that God forgives the truly repentant person. And listen, one of the chief evidences of the fact that I am truly repentant is that I have a forgiving spirit towards others. That's what he said. And what that means is I don't bring up their past to them or to anyone else. You know, we teach it to our children and then we forget it as adults, right? Ephesians 4.32. Say it with me. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Wait. Say this part really loud. Okay, what is our standard? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Is that limitless forgiveness? I mean, when you turned in repentance to him, did he say, I'm sorry, you've gone too far? Or did he forgive you? The last thing is an application. Matt, come ahead. If you play, it'll help me close, okay? Let me give you two applications. And since Noel isn't here today, I got an extra closing. So, first of all, have you ever seen yourself in complete debt to God due to your sin? Have you ever seen yourself in complete debt to God because of your sin? And because of that debt, have you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone 
as the payment for your sin? Have you ever accepted his gift of forgiveness? Remember that little phrase that Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Come close to me. Listen, regardless of what you have done to Jesus Christ, regardless of what you have done to God, listen to one of the last verses in the Bible in Revelation 22. Come, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. Let him come. What? Freely. Whosoever will. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Have you ever said in essence, Lord God, I'm I'm bankrupt before you. I'm in complete debt before you. I may have a good job. I may have been good to my family. I may be good to my grandkids. I, I, I have things planned for them. I have gifts for them. But the truth is, I'm in complete debt to you. And I acknowledge my sin before you. And I ask you, not on the basis of my works, anything that I've done, but I ask you based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, to forgive me of my indebtedness. And I accept your forgiveness. If you've never done that, let me tell you, please do that today. Please do that today. Jesus says, come if you're thirsty. Whosoever will. Let me ask you, are you a whosoever will? You are. He says, come. Question number two. If we have come and acknowledged our debt towards God and we've trusted Him, are we then taking seriously the challenge of this instruction? Are we prepared to be involved in radical, supernatural forgiveness? Even though our contemporary culture says, hey, you got a right to feel that way. You got a right to hold on to that one, that's for sure. Who defines for us right and wrong, our culture or this book? This book. And this book says, forgive as I've forgiven you. The problem is we don't see ourselves in debt enough. We don't see ourselves sinful enough. You know what the psalmist said? Psalm 130 verse 3. The psalmist asked this question. It's a good question. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? You know what he's asking? Hey, God, if you had a notebook and you checked off every time I offended you by my sin, who would stand? You know what the answer is? Nobody would. None of us would stand. So then would we keep record against our wives, against our family, against our co-workers, against our brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, the world is not to know us by our buildings. The world is not to know us by our budgets. The world is not to know us by our standards. The world is not even to know us by our doctrine initially. The world is to know us by our love one for another. 
And how can we love like Jesus loved if we don't forgive like Jesus forgave? These are the applications. A poem writer wrote, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrong and will not let old bitterness depart? In blazing light, your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. How small, listen, listen, how small the debts men owe to us. How great our debt to you. There's a man with the right perspective of his own self. Lord, would you pray this this morning? Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. Then reconcile to God and man. Our lives will spread your peace. Let's close our eyes this morning and I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that would that would say, I, I've never heard it quite put like that. I've never seen myself in complete indebtedness to God. I, I realize this morning that I am a sinner and I've never done what you said in putting my faith and trust in the righteousness of God. And today I acknowledge that. I won't embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Is there somebody that just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. See that hand. Anyone else this morning? I've never done that. I've always kind of counted on things that I've done. Anyone this morning? Maybe you're watching and that's you. Listen, if that is you, I want you right now from your heart. It's not about the words, but it is about your heart to God. And if you if you pray this to God and you mean it, according to the word of God, if you're of a repentant heart and you confess him, He'll save you today. So it is the matter of the heart. But if you will say simply, God, I am I'm in spiritual debt to you. Because of my casual indifference. Because of my sin and my moral rebellion. And my pride. And my mouth. My hands, my feet. They're all filthy before your holiness. But today I accept your payment and your righteousness and your forgiveness. Be merciful to me, a sinner, O God. If you pray that and mean it from your heart in a repentant heart and a repentant spirit, those words will not save you, but a repentant heart and faith in Jesus Christ And faith in the gospel will save you. I believe Jesus in you. I believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm putting my faith in you for my eternal salvation. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the word of God. It is our guide. It is our standard. We surrender ourselves to it, Lord. And we pray that as your spirit works and speaks to us on certain areas, Lord, of our life, that we will be willing to respond to that as you would have us to, that we might be conformed more to the image of Christ, that we might be the witnesses that you would have us to be 
to our community, to the world around us. I pray, Lord, that the world would look into our church and others in the community and find a love that is supernatural that attracts them to the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'll keep us safe and that you will bring us back to the evening service together tonight as we worship you again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.